This Friday, July 24th, Brian Bulmer, my husband, and I are celebrating 16 years of marriage. You guys, how exciting is that? So it seemed appropriate to share this week's podcast, him and I talking all about our financial testimony. Finances are something we are really passionate about because if you look at the statistics, most couples argue or even divorce over the subject of money. Now, I wouldn't say that we never fight about this subject, but it's something that we have come to agreement on in so many ways. And in our 16 years of marriage, have lived debt-free for 14 of those years. So we are also really passionate about living debt-free. Funny story, Brian did a TikTok video about our financial testimony, actually after we recorded this episode. The video was just a little bit about how we've lived debt-free, how we've gotten there. You guys... 3 million views later, and he just reposted it and got another half a million views. It's just so interesting how it resonates with people, the subject of money, how it can be divisive, how people think you're wrong if you save up, how you're right if you save up, how you know money is an inanimate object. It's in the hands of the user that makes a difference. So money can be used to bless people, can build hospitals, can change the world, and it can also be used to ruin people and to corrupt people. So really in the hands of the user makes all of the difference. So we have been committed for 16 years of our marriage really to just use this tool of money well use it responsibly. Our goal is to care for our own family, to be responsible, not to go into debt. We've always been faithful about a tithe. I think there's so much to just that relationship of money and not letting it take hold of your heart by giving that 10% before you even think about the rest of the 90. And then our goal is to eventually be able to just give generously and to bless people's socks off. There's this verse in the Bible that talks about, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And I want to be able to just to give and not get any of the recognition, like just to be able to secretly give and no one knows it's us. And we like give to world changing organizations doing incredible things. And it it just makes me teary being able to think about living responsibly, saving and giving and loving and truly making a difference from behind the scenes because we handled this gift of money well. So we just want to share what we've learned along the way. And hopefully it helps you give some truth for your 20s around the subject called money. Hi, my name is Ava. This is your Truth For Your 20s podcast with your host, Katie Bormer, my mom. Enjoy listening. I was the girl who looked for love in boys and Bacardi and wouldn't be caught dead at a Bible study. Now I wrote a book and record this podcast about how I learned that God isn't a bunch of rules, but in fact, he gives us absolute freedom. I also speak to college women nationwide about how my background in marketing led me to see the $100 million power of influence college women have over the marketplace. Yet these same college women are crying into their latte over some stinking boy. Basically, I've learned that today's 20-somethings are believing the same lies I believed when I was that age. And I am on a mission to replace those lies with truth. People call me a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, my heart is to be who I needed when I was younger and to bring you the best available truth for your 20s. There are still a lot of unknowns for fall semester. But one thing I know for sure is if you are a sorority woman listening to this, your sorority is going to need some motivation when you get back. 
let's talk about making a difference in the community. Setting positive trends, changing the dating world, can I get an amen, and getting back to your founding sister's dreams of sisterhood that held each other to a higher standard and never let each other fall. You guys, I'm now booking both virtual and in-person events for fall semester. I would love to bring this message to your sorority. I would love to talk to you about how I truly believe sorority women can be the change we need to see in this world. I know it from a marketing perspective. I have tons of research to prove you guys are trendsetters. Let's talk about making trends that matter. All the details you need can be found on my website at katiebulmer.life or simply send me an email. Just katie at katiebulmer.life. We just want to share what we have walked through as a couple financially because It's been a long, confusing, but positive road at the end. And I think we've learned a lot along the way. And Brian has actually been trained under the Dave Ramsey organization to be a coach and coach people financially. And he was actually employed by the university to teach college students about money for a few years. And so we've just learned a lot and we have a passion to communicate how to handle your money wisely. So here we go. We're just going to share a little bit about our financial testimony. And I think the best start is kind of how we were raised to deal with money, to look at money and all that kind of stuff. So do you want to share your story first about money? Sure. I grew up with my parents looking through the kind of the window divorce. My mom and dad got divorced when I was six months old and my mom remarried, but money was never really prevalently talked about in our family or in our lives. It was just something that was there. Things seemed to be available, but there was no explaining to me how money worked, how to use money, what's the best thing to do with your money. It was just kind of there. This is what we use. And we kind of live life and never really heard much about it or knew I would get in trouble for leaving the lights on because that cost us money. But I never knew how much or why that may truly be impacting our family. So it was never really talked about. My mom walked through another divorce. And during that divorce, the house went on sale. And we talked about money a little bit at that time. But outside of that, it was just never really talked about as I was growing up until I got to college. What about for you? Brian and I both have a um, background of divorce. Both of our parents, his mom, um, was married three times and my mom was married twice. And so when I was eight, my parents got divorced. And again, you know, we grew up, I, I guess you'd say lower middle class. Um, we grew up, I guess we had money, enough money that I wasn't worried about my next meal, but I always had hand-me-downs. We bought clothes on sale, that kind of stuff, uh, the clearance racks. One of the biggest things I would say is when my mom married my stepdad when I was in seventh grade, we moved to, quote, the best school district. And, you know, everyone wants their kids to go to the best school district. And for us, this was just 30 minutes across town. But it was a huge eye-opening for me because up until my seventh grade year, I would consider all my friends, quote, normal. You know, maybe blue-collar families, just regular. We had enough money to get by, but nothing extravagant. And then we moved to this best school district. Everyone I rubbed shoulders with, everyone in my classes was good at something. And I remember trying out for cheerleading tryouts, thinking, oh, well, you know, I could do a toe touch. I could do cartwheel, stuff like that. But everyone in this school had been in gymnastics classes since they were like three. And everyone on the baseball team had been doing little league since they were an infant. So, you know, it was a completely different planet for me moving to this, quote, best school district. 
because these families grew up a little bit more affluent than what I did. So that was just my biggest probably like eye opening, like, oh, this is what it looks like to have more money versus less money. And so for us, I I did not have any debt going into college because I had the Hope Scholarship, which when you go to school in Georgia, that basically just means if you keep a 3.0 or higher, Georgia pays for your school. It's a great program. I don't know how long it was going to last. There's a lot of controversy about all of that. But it was a great blessing for me when I went to college. And my parents kind of helped me with my apartment, stuff like that. I always had a part-time job through college, always kept my grades up, had a part-time job. So graduated without debt. Met Brian when I was 24, and we started dating. And then when we started talking about money, so just kind of navigating how we would handle this and what we would do. And the biggest blessing for us during that time is he actually won. What was it? The Dave Ramsey like tickets or something like that? Yeah. So I um, went to a Dave Ramsey event at a local church in our community, and it was a simulcast. And it was before simulcast was cool, um, especially now with COVID nineteen. Simulcast is kind of everywhere. But during this time, it really wasn't popular and really wasn't big. And I just fell in love with those principles. And as Kay was talking, it also kind of made me think when I was growing up, one of the biggest changes that happened to me is I got my first car. My grandfather actually gave me my car. It was a 73 Ford Granada. And it kind of taught me about money because when you press the gas on the accelerator, the gas would start going down. When you turn the lights on at night, the radio would buzz. But the great thing about that car to learn in is nothing can hurt it because it was made out of metal. And if by chance I bumped into anything, not saying that I did, um, but just by chance if, if I would have bumped into anything, nothing would hurt that car because it was like a metal car. But the gas did go through it really fast. And so... At 16, I would get a job, pay for my gas, pay for other things. Um, When I graduated high school, my parents moved. My grandparents were extremely generous to me and gave me a very nice sum for graduation from high school. And I remember that summer after high school kind of blowing through that money, which was a very generous amount of money to give me because they had my parents had just moved and I was trying to go back and see friends where we used to live and trying to get a job. It just kind of totaled up a lot of money that was being used. And so through college, I would use um, money to help me take people out. And so using that money kind of got blown and spent like crazy. My final two years of college, I went to um, Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri, which is an awesome college to go to. And it cost a lot more school-wise. Those first two years of school for me were in um, public school in Alabama, able to pay through those basically outright. But in those last few years, being in private school, I had to start borrowing and go into debt and didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And I actually read a book by a guy named Larry Burkett and basically just helped me know that debt was not the wisest thing to have, but it really didn't tell me what to do with debt. So I was like, well, I have this college debt. Everything says that you have to have a credit card as you get established in the world and as you get going. So when I got my first job after grad school, I'd gotten a credit card, started using it. I had debt from those two years of college. All of grad school was paid for, which was nice had car debt as well from buying my first car on my own, which was exciting, but also had that debt from that car. And so when I went to that Dave Ramsey event and he started laying out, making wise decisions with your money, developing a little bit of an emergency fund, so that way if the unforeseen happens, because it happens to all of us, then you have a little bit of money saved up, trying to knock those debts out, which by the time Katie and I met, I only had college debt left and I only had car debt. So at least I only had those two debts when we met start working on those, 
started talking about developing a bigger emergency fund to take things. And we were developing into our relationship when I was hearing all those things and I was sharing it with her as we were thinking about getting married. And we'd pretty much um, were engaged at the point that I saw it. And then I called into the show after I saw the simulcast and I was like, Hey Dave, you know, we're about to get married soon. And I just want to know a little bit more about money. Anything you can suggest to me as we're preparing for this. And he shared some advice with me, but he also said, Hey, we're about to do an event in Atlanta and I want to give you free tickets to you and your spouse to come and join me, which was an awesome opportunity. But at the time I was in youth ministry and doing youth ministry, I had an event the weekend that they were doing their live event. And so Katie and a friend of hers went to that event. And I think that was her first exposure to Dave stuff. And so you can kind of share a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's not an ad for Dave Ramsey stuff. It's just some curriculum. If you haven't heard of it, it's just really, it's very widespread at this point, helping people get out of debt. And it's just really revolutionized our marriage, the way we think about money and just really get us on the same page. You know, they say a lot of couples fight and argue and even divorce over money. And that's one thing that, you know, of course, I wouldn't say we've never argued about, but we've been pretty much on the same page because we have the same end goal and we don't want to go into debts. We do want to have a savings for our future and for our kids and stuff like that. So anyway, yeah, so I had went to the simulcast with one of my friends and was just so inspired about the ability while I was young to put money away for a future, the ability to write a future for my grandkids, to write a legacy, to to live just differently than my peers. So one thing that I know for sure that I got from this is we were kind of in the stage of, you know, everyone around us was getting married, we were engaged, and all of our friends that were married before us were buying these big brick houses in the suburbs and getting a new car. And I just thought that that's what you did. And I wanted to do that too. And learning about this was like, oh, well, maybe if we rent this duplex that Brian was living in at the time, after we got married, we lived in this teeny tiny duplex. And if we saved, we ended up saving for two years and putting a big down payment on our home, that two years truly set us up for even where we are today, because we able to save a down payment on our house which I don't know if you know much about that. I didn't when I was your age, but putting a big down payment means you have less payments month to month, which means everything is better. You don't have to have as much payment on everything else. You can save money in other areas if you don't have this gigantic mortgage every month. Now, Brian will, I'm sure, tell you this was not without frustration. I'm like, oh, you know, I want a big brick home like our friends have. I want a house like our friends have. I want all this stuff that I saw shiny on the other side. And what's interesting is even our parents and grandparents would be like, why are you, why are you living this way? Like Katie had a good job on advertising. We didn't have any kids at the time. So in marketing, they call it D, uh, dinks, double income, no kids, D I N K. So that's what we had at the time, double income, no kids. Yet we lived in this teeny tiny duplex, you know, driving old beat up cars. But those two years, I'm telling you, say, changed everything for the trajectory for our future because we were able to put that big down payment on a house and make good decisions going forward. We got out of debt those two years. So then we walk into low mortgage, no debt, able to pay everything going forward, and it just changed everything. Is that? Yeah, I think during that season right before we got married, one of the big things that impacted me was I got hit by a drunk driver. I'm perfectly fine. My car got banged up pretty good and it was totaled. And I had to go back to where I lived. I had a great friend of our family's who was part of a car dealership, had somebody come out, drive me back to where we used to live, which was about a three-hour trip, and help me find my next car 
there and I was able to drive it back. But that car we had to borrow for, and we'd seen the simulcast, we'd done these things, we'd made these decisions as we were getting married that we didn't want to go any more debt. And I found myself getting into debt. But we kind of drew a line in the sand at that point and said, no more debt. And I think that really helped us with the decision to put the down payment down on the house like we did. The other thing that we avoided is we avoided a thing called private mortgage insurance. And for the longest time, all I knew is that once you made it past 20%, you didn't have to pay private mortgage insurance. 20% uh, down payment on your house, just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I wasn't sure why that was. And actually, I had a friend of mine the other day. And I were talking and they said, once you get to 20%, they feel like you're invested enough in your house where you're not just going to abandon it. So that's why they no longer require that private mortgage insurance. And so I'd never really understood why until then. But then once he shared that with me, I was like, oh, that makes total sense because now you have this investment in your house. So when we put um, 33% down on our first house, it really helped them see that we were committed, that we loved this house. And we almost, right before we moved to Chattanooga, we almost had the house paid off. When we moved to Chattanooga, we moved into a little bit bigger house. Our, our children were getting a little bit older. And so we moved into a little bit bigger house, but we actually paid about 55% down on that house when we moved. But those decisions that we made in those first two years living in the duplex helped us buy that first house, which helped us buy this house now that we're in Chattanooga. And so those effects, when we got started in our marriage, we're still seeing the ripple effects of those things. We've also walked through where we paid cash for our last few cars. I want to say it's close to five cars, uh, maybe four cars, but we paid cash for those cars. So we've never had a par car payment in our marriage other than the one that I brought into it from that um, getting hit by that drunk driver. And so since then, we've always paid cash for our cars. Um, we, we have a savings. We have no consumer debt outside of the house. Um, Dave Ramsey and others out there, the Susie Orms of the world, would recommend that you try to have about six months of savings. And now with the things that are going on with COVID-19, there's a lot of people out there suggesting that perhaps you should even have nine to 12 months in savings. And one of the things that COVID-19 has actually brought about for a lot of people is they're actually saving at a much higher rate and they're borrowing a lot less, which I hope those trends continue even after um, COVID-19. Yeah, I was just going to kind of break a few things down. Um, Brian is so good with all this kind of stuff. And for me, I'm kind of like the, I need the third grade term version of all of this. So if you're like me, I just want to kind of break a few things down. It's PMI, like he talked about. So say, for example, you're buying a $100,000 house. I know that's not much of a house, but let's keep the money simple. To avoid PMI, which is just basically another fee. It's just another fee you have to pay every month, and it's something that you can easily avoid. But to do that, you have to save up 20%. So in this example, it'd be $20,000. Now, a lot of people are like, what? I, I can never write a check for $20,000. What is so encouraging, I hope that you hear from our story, is Brian was a youth pastor, and I was working in an advertising job in a small town. You know, we were not Rockefellers. We were not anything speaking one of my favorite quotes is from john d rockefeller he says i would never be able to tithe my first million dollars if i had not tithed my first paycheck which was a dollar fifty a week and so i think it was so important for us starting these habits so early when we didn't have you know a huge income because it helped it helped just these habits it helped develop healthy habits so we put 20 percent down because we lived off of his youth pastor income and we put away every penny that i made in my advertising job we paid off all of our debts um it's called gazelle style so like intense style you know not buying anything extra focusing solely on getting out of debt 
once you get out of debt, you can celebrate for a little bit, you know, have a breather. But we were so anxious to get out of that little duplex. We also kind of went straight into saving up for our payment for our house. And Brian will unpack the debt snowball a little bit better, how we did all of that. But I just want to encourage you, you know, some people think, oh, wow, you can save up a down payment for your house. You must... I don't know, like have a $100,000 a year job. Like, no, that's what's so encouraging. You can do this with a $20,000 a year job. My granddad lived until he was 95, never made over $30,000 a year, but he never had a single dollar of debt. He died and was able to give generously to my mom. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that you can do no matter how much income you make. So this is regardless of the money you make, but everything to do with the behaviors and how you spend your money. So we live frugally, really those first two to even three years before we had kids truly set us up, even for me to be able to be a stay-at-home mom when our our babies were first born, but um, unpack the debt snowball because I think that that's really Im- helpful to everybody listening. Yeah, so a debt snowball is one way to reduce consumer debt, and a lot of people say, "Oh, well, you should look at like the interest rate that you're paying when it comes to, or look at the terms and conditions when you go to pay off your debt." But the truth is, none of us get into debt over any of those subjects. We don't get into debt over the interest rate. We don't get into debt over the terms and conditions. We get into debt a lot of times because we think it's a normal thing that we're all supposed to do. Or two, we're like, well, I want this now, so I've got to do this to get this. And so all a debt snowball is is listing your debts from smallest debt that you have left to the largest debt that you have left, and you're paying them off in that order. So why would you do it that way? Why wouldn't you base it off the interest? Why wouldn't you base it off of the terms and conditions? Well, the main reason why you do it from smallest to largest is because we as humans, we like wins. And if you get that smallest debt paid off, it feels like a win to you. And so what you're doing with that smallest debt is you're doing a budget with the money that you live off of. And then any money that you have left over from the money that you have coming in, you take that and you add it to the payment that you're trying to make on the debt that you have. So if your debt payment, and let's say it's a car just making things up and it's $100 a month and you do the budget including that car payment in there and you do the budget for your month and you have an extra $50, well now each month you're paying $150 towards that car to get out of debt. Now maybe some things will change, maybe you have some extra money come in at different times and then you can apply that towards that car debt. And let's say the next thing that you have is school loan debt and you're we're paying $100 a month on that. Well, from what you used to pay on your car, because now you've got that debt paid off, that was 150 that was going there. Now you're taking that 150 and you're applying it to the $100 that you were doing for your school debt. So now you're paying $250 back on your school debt. So as you go through that school debt and you get it paid off, then let's say maybe you have a credit card and you were paying $50 a month on it. Well, now instead of paying $50 a month on that credit card, you now have $300 a month that you can pay on that credit card to get that credit card paid off because you've eliminated the car debt, you've eliminated the school debt, and now you're working on that credit card debt and that allows you to be able to progress forward and get those debts knocked out as quickly as possible. I have recently teamed up with Cassie at Her Sorority Journey because Cassie made a beautiful online course to help sorority women make the most of their sorority experience. 
I checked out her course and Cassie truly just thought of everything. So whether you're just thinking about this thing called sorority and potentially going through recruitment, whether you're already in and finding your place in your chapter and how you can best shine a light in your sorority, or whether you're a recent grad and trying to translate your sorority experience into post-grad life. She thought of everything. It's all in here in a beautifully affordable online course, and she's offering Truth for Your 20s listeners 10% off with promo code TRUTH. So go check out her sorority journey. Believe me, you don't want these four years to pass you by without intention, without making the most of every moment as a sorority woman and beyond. So check it out, her sorority journey, and use promo code TRUTH to save 10% on your digital course. Okay, you mentioned in here a budget and a lot of people listening like, oh, budget is a bad word and budgets restrict me and I can't have a budget and da da da. What will you tell young people listening about a budget? Why does it matter? How is an easy way to do one? Give us some budget pointers. Yeah, so the, the best thing to know about a budget is all a budget is is really you telling your money where to go and deciding ahead of time what happens with the money instead of wondering where your money went at the end of the month. If you don't have a budget and let's say that you're wanting to save up to one day go on a vacation or one day be able to go to a concert, if you don't have a budget, then those energy drinks take your money away from you or other things that you might be buying right now are are robbing you from the things that you may want to do down the road. So all our budget or cash flow planning is really doing for you is you're deciding where you want your money to go each month so you have the money to do the things that you want to do instead of wondering how they got all nickeled and dimed to death and caused you not to have the money you want. And so there's a lot of things that help you. We all tend to have our problem areas when it comes to cash flow planning slash budgeting and what that What we can do for those is we can honestly take envelopes and literally stick money in it. When I worked on a college campus about this, I would actually give students a huge oversized envelope. And I said, look, I know you're not probably going to use this envelope for your cash, but it's to remind you to take envelope and put cash in it. So let's say your issues is you like Starbucks or you like those energy drinks and you feel like you are spending a ton of money in that area and you decide, hey, I want to get serious about this. I only want to spend... 40 bucks, 20 bucks a month on these type of items. And so you would take $20 every two weeks if you're looking at 40 bucks, or if you're looking at 20 bucks, you would take $10 every two weeks and you'd put in an envelope and your coffee habit or your energy drink habit would come out of that envelope. And once that money's gone, it's gone because you know you'd rather spend the rest of that money on a concert you want to go to, or you'd rather save the rest of that money for the future that you want to have, or you'd rather make sure that once we're able to go on vacations again, that vacation is available to you to go on and you've made a decision about what's important to you overall versus what's immediate and quick to get a hold of now. So that's one of the things that can do. The other thing is, is I encourage people to always make budgeting as easy as possible for how they're wired. And so there's a few different products that are out there that help you with that. But for most students, an app is super helpful. I generally encourage students to look at two different apps. One is called Mint. Mint is great, but sometimes Mint makes things so simple that you tend not to want to use it because it will kind of automate where things go and it can be set up to send you alerts like crazy, which will drive a lot of people crazy and will stop using it. My experience with students when it comes to Mint and people in their 20s when it comes to Mint is that... Spell it for them so they know. M-I-N-T dot com. Yeah. Is that they kind of let Mint 
take over and they don't they stop doing the things that they need to do to put themselves to be successful. So another one that students like, and Mint is free by the way, but they like the free version of an app called Every Dollar, which is done through Dave Ramsey. The reason why they like Every Dollar, whereas Mint, you can draw it directly from your bank account to just show your categories. It doesn't take any money out of your bank account, but it just kind of shows you those categories from your bank account and where you can kind of drop things into your budget. Every Dollar doesn't do that for you. And a lot of people um, who are getting started with developing cash flow plan like the Every Dollar free version because they're having to look at their bank account. They're having to look at their every dollar account and they're having to literally type in those different elements to the budget. Does it take a little bit time, more time than Mint? Absolutely, but it allows you to have more control and you know what's going on and it causes you to stay committed to it. And so a lot of people like that. Now there are some others out there. You may discover one that fits you better and that's fine. The only thing I would encourage you to stay away from is that there are some that are out there that you can connect to your bank account and it will actually take money from your checking account and put it in your savings account. And a lot of people say, hey, this is a really good idea. And perhaps for some of you that is a good idea, but for the vast majority of you, it'd be much wiser to have something that doesn't do that because when it's taking that money out of your account that you're not aware of, it can tend to cause you to overspend your money. And so even though, yeah, it's saving aside money for savings, it's really costing you more money because you're hitting your overdrafts and costing you more money in the long run. So unless you just love to stay on top of things and something like the automatic thing benefits you, it's really worth avoiding. But to be honest with you, if you really do stay on top of things, then at the end of every month, you can always move the leftover money that you have over into a savings account and you would still have control. And so one of the things I don't like about those apps that kind of take money out of your checking account for you is that they don't allow you to have control of where your money is going. But like anything in life, if you've never budgeted before, it takes a little bit to get good at it. It's just like very few of us got on a bike for the first time were able to ride it. Any of you who are great at sports, any of you who are great in school, it probably the first time that you tried to prepare for a test to do stuff, it probably didn't come naturally to you. Or as you went from high school to college, there might have been some study skills that you had to learn. And the first time you implemented those study skills, they may not have been the easiest for you to use. But as you kept using them, it got better and better. And it's the same thing with a budget. The first few months you use a budget is going to be challenging. But just like riding a bike, the more you use that budget, the easier it's going to get. And soon it's going to almost be automatic and you're able to look back and see kind of how you spent in the past. And it really, truly helps you save up for things. And it just becomes a lot easier on you. But like anything, there is a definitely a little bit of time to get you ramped up. But even during that time, you're still doing better with your money. You're still making your money go where you want it to go. And it's helping you have more money in the long run, which sets you up to be more successful as you journey in life. Okay, well, going off of that, I know you've had several conversations with college students lately about the sinking fund. Can you explain that and why that matters? Yeah, so sinking fund is actually kind of a business term about setting money aside to help you with future projects or future events. So like if you owned a business, you know that your roof is going to eventually have to be replaced. So a wise business person would take a little bit of money each month and they would set aside that money to go towards the roof. And the business term for that is a sinking fund. For our everyday practical lives, I like to call it a carryover fund. And what you're doing with a carryover fund, same idea as that sinking fund, but what you're doing is like in your monthly budget, you might be setting aside money each month to help you pay for something that's once a year. So one of the big ways where this helps us as a family is a lot of people will pay their car insurance month to month. And that's actually one of the most expensive ways to pay your car insurance. You may want to talk to your 
um, insurance provider. That's not always the case, but in a lot of ways it can be. But one of the best ways to pay your car auto insurance, and a lot of times you'll get discounts from a lot of different companies this way, is if you pay it yearly. So what Katie and I decided to do for car insurance is we pay it yearly, and then once we have that payment in, we start saving every month towards next year's payment. So instead of getting this big, huge lump amount that hits us all in one month for our car insurance, we're setting aside money each month as we head towards that next car insurance payment. And so instead of fitting that big, huge amount in one month, we're setting aside just a little bit each month to help us get there. And I do this with all kinds of things. We have some bills that are once a quarter, and so I just break down those once a quarter bill. Our trash bill comes once a quarter. And so I'll literally take just about, I don't know, 10 or $15 a month and I'll set it aside each month. And so when that um, trash pickup bill comes in, I can write a check for it and it's not hitting that third month harder than all the other months. And so you might be thinking, woohoo, all the two months out of the, out of the year or you know, every other two months, I'm not having to worry about that bill but then I feel like I'm getting hammered every third month. Well, that's what this reduces. And as you create that fund, you can do it with all kinds of things. You can do it with clothing, because a lot of times we buy clothing only X amount of times a year. But when we go shopping for clothes, we tend to buy a lot of clothes. So let's say that you maybe you go twice a year and you know you're doing about $60 each time. Well, you know <laughs> you that know you can save. You know these spend more money than that. <laughs> you can set aside $10 a month. Yeah, I was trying to make my math easier there. But, I mean, you can scale that, right? So you can save $240 a year on clothes, which is $120 every six months. And then you're setting aside $20 a month towards that. So that way, when you go on that spending spree every six months or so, you're setting yourself up to be successful. And you can do the math. I mean, you may decide that your numbers are higher or lower. And that is the great thing about that budget is that you decide what your numbers are when it comes to clothing. You decide what your numbers are when it comes to eating out, when it comes to buying groceries. And it might be for you because you want to eat healthier or whatever. Your grocery bill is a little bit higher. But for a lot of other people, they want to have all kinds of entertainment. And that really is not a value of yours. So when it comes to your entertainment, your money is a lot lower. That's why it really helps you because you can kind of decide where your money goes and if you have this thought of towards the future you can really set yourself up because if you're thinking about grad school it's great to have some money saved up for grad school because it really sets you up to be successful um, if you're thinking about buying that first car if you're thinking about you know buying a house one day the more money you have saved up set aside to help you do that and the truth is most loans really start off with being where you were supposed to put 20% down when you bought a house. And it's just more recently that those changes have come about to allow people to buy a house with even less down. But the more you can put down on a house, the more that you can make a bigger payment on a car, the more school you can pay for with cash, those all set you up to be more successful later in life. First of all, can you tell we are not big spenders on clothing? Uh, my kids get hand-me-downs. We have two cousins on both sides who both have kids a little bit older than our girls, so we get tons of hand-me-downs. If you follow me on Instagram, my favorite store is called Dirt Cheap. <laughs> and then Brian's a guy and has like, I don't know, he's like, I have four polos. Why do I need more? Not really. You have more than that. But anyway, we're super, like, that's just not something we spend a lot of money on. But we do eat healthy, so a lot of that costs money. So, you know, it just depends on your passion. It doesn't mean you're right or wrong if you spend more money on eating or clothing or concerts or whatever. It's just, it's you. And like what you said earlier about budgets, a budget is just deciding where your money is going instead of wondering where it went. So I think that's really powerful. Obviously, this is called the Truth For Your 20s podcast. A lot of people listening are in their 20s. And 
in your 20s, it's so important to learn these principles because not only does it set you habits for the rest of your life. I didn't mention this earlier, but because we were able to put that big down payment on our house, if you don't understand all of this, basically it made every month that we had to pay to live on our house cheaper than most of our neighbors, really. And therefore, I was able to be a stay-at-home mom because we were still living on youth pastor's income. However, our mortgage was low. We didn't have any debt. And so therefore, I didn't have any income, but it was more feasible for our family because of those decisions that we made early. But speaking of that, how can the people listening make decisions early? Tell us about this, um, what's it called? Compounding saving? See, I don't even know the words, guys. What's it called? Compounding interest. So one of the areas that if you can start early in life, so once you've established that little bit of emergency fund, once you've gotten yourself out of debt, and once you've set up emergency fund that's six to nowadays, I would even say nine months. Uh, I think we've all kind of learned from COVID-19 that's probably wiser to have a little bit more. And this is your basic living expenses. So this isn't including like your entertainment budget. What does it cost for me to cover what's called the four walls? So what does it cost for me to have transportation? What does it cost for me to have food? What does it cost for me to have shelter? What does it cost for me to have, you know, decent clothing? And then look a little bit beyond that for other things that you might need. But this is based on having six to nine months saved up for those necessities. And if there were things in life that you could cut out if you're in a really tight spot, lost your job, um, potentially lost your place to stay temporarily, different things like that. If you had to get down to those essentials that you needed, what would those cost you month to month? And you want to try to have that saved up. But once you do that, you can do an amazing thing and start saving up towards your retirement. Now, the only area where I really think that people would be wise is when you get that first job, if your job offers you the ability to match, and what I mean by that is that if you take money and you set aside from your paycheck towards your retirement, a lot of companies will match you up to perhaps a certain percent or a certain dollar amount. If you were to set up to do that, that is super beneficial to you because that's 100% free money that you're getting from your employer to help you with your future and to help you with retirement. Once you establish that, then you can look towards creating that savings and making sure you have those six to nine months all saved up for. And then after that, you want to start dumping about 15% towards your retirement. And you're like, well, Brian, 15% of my budget, that's a lot of money. And I get that, but because you have no more debt, because you've saved up to buy things, because um, you've got this emergency cushion, it's a lot easier to have 15% of your income going towards your future, and that's really where you be. But the earlier you can start on that, the less debt you have from school, the less debt you have in life in general, and the earlier you can start on that, the more it benefits you. There's a famous chart out there that Dave Ramsey um, created called the Ben and Arthur and the Power of Compound Interest. You can literally Google Ben and Arthur chart, and it would probably come up and show you what I'm about to talk about because it's a little hard to do these numbers over the, um, you know, kind of on the airwaves. But Basically, there's two guys. One's name is Ben, and the other name is Arthur. Ben started saving for his retirement when he was 19 years old, and he saved $2,000 a year. That's all he did. Not a ton of money, but about $2,000 a year from 19 to 26. And Ben never put another dollar towards his retirement. 
due to the fact that when you put money in to your retirement account, that money compounds. And a lot of times it will get a really good rate of return. I want to say that Dave, for illustrative purposes, uses about 10, perhaps even as high as 12%, which is going to be a little bit on the high side. But in a continuous cycle, 10% is generally where money is. Even when we have these down seasons, like what COVID-19 this year has cost, a lot of people that I know have talked about how their money is already back to where it was before COVID-19 even started and it's still growing from there. But with Ben, he put money in retirement and as that money sat in that retirement account and that interest started compounding on that money, he got to retirement age of 65 because he had started so early, even though he didn't contribute a ton of money, it allowed him to have $2,288,996. Now Ben has a buddy named Arthur and Arthur said, hey, I had some college debt, I had some other things I was doing earlier on in life, I didn't really think about it. So Arthur didn't really start saving for retirement until he was 26 years old, actually until he was 27 years old, I'm sorry, and he started doing $2,000 a month towards his retirement at 27. He went from age 27 to age 65, $2,000 every year, setting himself up to be in great shape. And by the time he retired, even though he did it so much longer than Ben did, he only had $1,532,166 towards retirement. Now, he still retires a millionaire, which is pretty good. Um, not going to take anything away from that. But because his friend was able to get started earlier, he had so much more money towards retirement. He almost had double the money and put so much less in because that interest was able to compound over all that time of him putting money towards his retirement. Yeah, so I'm I'm still on this chart from Brian's lap here. Uh, ben puts two thousand a year from age nineteen to twenty six, retires with two million two hundred eighty eight thousand dollars. Arthur doesn't start until he's twenty seven, puts two thousand every single year till he's sixty five, which is a ton more money, and still only retires with one million five hundred. So that's almost a million dollars less than his buddy who started early. So the point of this, even if you're not 19 listening to this, is to start earlier than later. Okay, so we shared a little bit about our story, what young people can do to be financially wise in this culture. So I also, I want to point out, you know, our culture is not teaching you this. Our culture is saying, buy a credit card. Every commercial says you deserve it, which oh, it just gets under my skin because I'm like, um, can we talk about how the God of the universe was born in a stinky manger and we're telling ourselves we deserve a Bahamas vacation because it's a day that ends in a Y? Like, whatever. You deserve what you work for. We we live in this culture where we want it and we get it immediately. We have no desire to work and save and wait. And I think that the maturity level is different when you can work and save and wait to have these purchases. But Anyways, if we can just recap, what are some things people listening can do today to set themselves up for a good financial future? Just kind of recap, what are some things that they can do? Yeah, I think some immediate steps that you could honestly take today is um, a few things. So let's look at two things right off the bat. One is you can start tracking what you're spending today. And there's kind of some advantages to this allows you to see what you're spending your money on. So that way, when you go to create that cash flow plan, that budget, if you will, then you're able to kind of get a sense of what you're spending already. The other thing that it does is that we don't like to track things. Here recently, I tracked what I was eating. During those multiple months, because I was tracking what I was eating, I was tracking the calories that was coming in, I lost 30 pounds in about four months. 
by tracking what I was eating. And it's the same thing is true for money. When we start tracking what we're doing for money, we tend to spend less money even if we're not doing a budget yet. But if you track what you spend for a few weeks, maybe one or two weeks, and literally you can take your notes on your phone, you can grab a little notepad if you want to, however you want to do this, and you write down everything you're spending and maybe out to the side of it, you just put what category it is, like gas or like um, convenient food or groceries or entertainment or whatever else it may be and just kind of write little categories beside it that you can kind of lump together it gives you kind of a sense of what you're spending and I always encourage people to start by doing that for like two weeks or so the other thing that you can start to do is those areas that you see from that there are areas that you're like man I really should be spending less money in that area is to grab a small envelope and pick cash in that envelope for those areas and if you don't have the envelope with you or if it runs out of cash you stop spending in that area until you get more cash. Now, I will tell you one thing to avoid doing with this cash envelope idea. Let's say you decide that you're going to spend $150 a month on eating out. Please don't get $150 at one time and put them in an envelope. Now, I'm not worried about somebody stealing it from you because very few people carry cash anymore. So I don't think that that's really a big issue. But what I am worried about is that a lot of us, it's really hard to control that urge to spend that money. And so if we have $150 in the envelope and we're trying to make that last for four to five weeks, we tend to blow through that money in the first two weeks. And then to be honest with ourselves, we're not going to wait two weeks before we go eat out again. So the wise thing to do with that money, if we're saying that, hey, we want to spend $150 a month on food, is for the first 14 days, we put um, $75 in an envelope towards food. And then at the 14-day mark, we put another $75 in an envelope. And so that way, if we get to day 12 and we run out of money, we can all last two days without eating out. And then we get $75 back in, and then we go towards the end of the month with that $75. And don't penalize yourself. If you still have money left over from the first two weeks, feel free to use it towards the last one or that thing that you're saving up for long-term, whether that's retirement, whether that's paying off debt, whether that's that vacation you want to take, then you can welcome to take it out and apply it towards that. Or perhaps you just treat yourself to a really nice meal in the back half um, because you were so good and disciplined during the first half of the month. So those are two things you can do right away. Start tracking what you're spending, use those envelopes, and then you can kind of listen as you hear those next things to do to set yourself up to be successful, like developing that cash flow plan, saving up $1,000 or $500 if you make less than $2,500 a year, um, paying off those debts, smallest to largest, saving up six to nine months of expenses, You know, start saving 15% towards your retirement. Yeah, the only other thing I'd like to add is just not looking to your peers when it comes to advice for your finances. We live in a very backwards culture. You know, as I mentioned, we we don't want to wait for anything. We think we deserve everything. And everyone is going to tell you, well, why would you live that way? And why would you save that money? And why wouldn't you go on this trip? And why wouldn't you buy this pair of $100 pants that you don't need or whatever? I'm not saying you cannot have nice things. I'm saying budget for it. I'm saying maybe having that Louis Vuitton purse is something that you want and something you want to work for. That is awesome, but put it as a goal and make sure first that you can afford rent. Make sure first that you can afford groceries and be responsible. And as Brian said, those four walls of your house, even as a college student, you know, you still have to be responsible with your money before you can have these rewards and rewards are not bad. You just have to be responsible. But as with everything we do, we hope that we gave some truths today in the subject of finances. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Take a screenshot and put this up on your social. Tag me at Katie Bulmer Life. By the way, I love your DMs. I'm just a regular girl who responds to all my DMs. I never thought I had to clarify that, but apparently some people don't. You actually do me a favor when you reach out and tell me what you want to hear more of because I'm no longer a 20-something, but my passion is to keep my thumbprint on the pulse of what you guys are walking through, what you want to hear more of, what resonates. So please reach out. Do not be shy. And lastly, those of you who leave a review on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope that you gain some truth for your 20s. Hey, my name is Hannah Boomer. Thanks for listening to my mom's podcast. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And our work here is done.